RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's my pleasure to welcome to RCR this Monday morning, Professor Rob McCulloch of Auckland University, who's been here before to give his thoughts on some of the economic stories out there at the moment, and there are quite a few. Rob, welcome back. Good to have you again. Hi, Paul. Okay, let's start with GST of fruit and vegetables. This is not new. It's been raised before. The Aussies did it. but It's been raised before here in New Zealand, and it's always been said that it's too hard, but now apparently it's not. Why would it be easier now, do you think? Well, it isn't It isn't easier now. And Hipkin's own finance spokesperson, uh, finance minister, uh, Grant Robertson, has spoken against it. Uh, look, it's desperate measures. Uh, there's no sense to it. But uh, he's running economic policy on focus groups and uh, his weekly polling. So... That that's how he's decided to uh, run the, run the country. He seems to uh, be determined to uh, get back into power, and he's doing anything he can to try to win the election, even if it's terrible policy. So this is just a politician who's desperate for power. None of what he's saying on the economic front makes sense. He shouldn't have taken GST uh, off fresh fruit. He should have targeted low-income people and folks who were genuinely struggling to uh, buy fresh fruit, to buy uh, a decent meal, and he should have uh, helped those people directly rather than making uh, fruit cheaper for also the richest people in this country. That's just an unnecessary waste of money. Okay, I'm going to get also to um, some of the other policies and tax credits in work tax credit and uh, working for families in just a moment. Mm. I noticed they didn't include meat, which is a very healthy part mm. of the uh, the food pyramid as well. And yep. subject to a lot of inflation, very expensive. Now, I wonder why they left meat off. Any ideas on that? Well, this is what you get into when you start making arbitrary decisions. This, there's no rhyme or reason uh, to what he's done, uh, other than the, when they've run it past focus groups and Talbot Mills or who, whoever is their pollster, it's going down well with their polling. They just think they'll get votes. This is a politician who wants power. He doesn't care if it's good or, or, or policy or not. So there's no rhyme or reason. Why not take GST off meat? Who knows? He's just decided fruit and veggies goes well. It's a good soundbite, plays well in the media, and maybe he'll get a few votes out of it. But uh, there's, as you say, there's no rhyme or reason to this. In fact, the worst thing is it opens GST to lobby groups because if you're in an industry or selling a particular item, you can start lobbying. And maybe now the meat industry will say, you're right, Paul, why not take GST off meat? Because that will lead to more sales of meat. So he's opened up a can of worms. Every industry, every person up and down the country will say, why uh, did you target uh, fresh fruit? Why not target my product? People need that more than fresh fruit. I take it the producers of the food here, the fruit and vegetables, they don't get a break on GST from creating it or getting it to market, do they? Um, no, no, no. It's it's just just at the sale sale. end. Just at the final sale. End of sale. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Um, And to be fair, New Zealand First, I think, have uh, have thrown that one out there as well. And you just have the same response to that too, right? Sorry, say again? Uh, New Zealand First have also have have announced a similar policy, GST, of, well, I think, I don't know if they're as specific as fresh fruit and vegetables, but they've got a similar policy. And your reaction to that would be the same as we've just heard to Labour's, I'm taking it. 
This is uh, politicians uh, desperate for power, looking for votes. That's n- none of these policies have been th- thought through. In fact, the GST in this country was lauded as one of the best GSTs in the world when it was launched because it was simple, applied to everything, and it's viewed as a nightmare to start taking it off certain products and not others. It's opening it up to uh, big business, to powerful lobby groups. Amazing that Chris Hipkins would hand a windfall to the supermarket duopoly. It seems he loves big business. Uh, you know, they're already, uh, if you have a new world franchise, the rumours are a lot of those franchise owners are on over a million a year and he's handing them even more money because now he's made, uh, you know, uh, a f- a fresh uh, a fruit cheaper. So their sales may well go up and they'll make even more profits off that. So he's hand- handing a chunk of profit, potentially, to the extent they don't pass on the full 15% reduction, to uh, the big bosses who own uh, the franchises uh, for the supermarket chain. So Hipkins has made probably the rich richer and not much help the poor. Wow. Okay. And um, they, they're kind of responsible for the inflation we're seeing now anyway, aren't they? These politicians, all that borrowing, printing money. Yeah, well, it was due to uh, the Reserve Bank's um, bonkers 50 billion money printing program and slashing rates close to zero and the government's uh, borrow spend program. And if you, they've ranked many countries on how much they borrowed and spent during the pandemic, as well as how much money they printed. If you add together how much our government uh, how much money they printed and how much they borrowed and spent. We're we're in the in one of the highest uh, countries in the world in terms of that overall stimulus package. Absolutely enormous. Now it led to inflation. I warned against it at the time. It's not with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Grant Robertson uh, misrepresented uh, folks like me when he said none of us predicted it before. I do a blog. I did predict it before, and it was obvious that it would happen when you're going and printing that much money. But uh, they, uh, they've, yeah, their actions have led a large part to runaway inflation. He's gone and blamed Putin for it. Robertson and Orr have said it's all Putin's fault. What a load of garbage! Uh, Putin is uh, is not uh, the cause of our high inflation. The overseas factors uh, and, and do not account for over half of our inflation. Okay, I want to switch to interest rates, and I'm reading here from interest.co.nz. They're telling us Westpac economists have now joined those at the ANZ in expecting the Reserve Bank RBNZ will mm. like the official cash rate again in November, mm. taking it to 5.75%. Mm. Now, is is that needed in your view? I've long advocated a soft landing. Um, they should try to uh, avoid a deep recession uh, and you know, try to uh, keep the economy growing and not have unemployment uh, uh, rising rising too much. Um, but the Reserve Bank wanted to engineer a recession, uh, and so that's the route they've they've taken. Um, and you know, if they, you know, if if they still consider inflation is too high, a large part of what they caused, um, then that could well happen. They may raise rates even even higher. So it's it's a great shame, and uh, I think it's a recession that could have been avoided. I would note, uh, although the Governor of the Reserve Bank and Finance Minister have said all countries are experiencing these sort of problems, if not worse, that's not true. Uh, the U.S. is not in recession, and uh, you know it, it looks like the U.S. may well avoid a recession 
The UK has so far avoided a recession this year. So you look at the UK, the US, actually, they're not in, in recession. And remember, we were the country that was meant to have been handled the pandemic so brilliantly. And those countries were meant to be disasters. Well, they're doing better now in terms of their GDP growth than we are. Okay, then there's, I want to get your uh, thoughts uh, on this uh, announcement that, uh, again, the Prime Minister made last week, and that was a deal with BlackRock, $2 billion fund. Now, that's chicken chump change for BlackRock, as we know, even though it's a huge amount of money, chump change for them to go um, to decarbonise by a particular date, even though we are over 80% renewable already, thanks to our great forefathers building those incredible infrastructure items like um, hydro dams, et cetera, 50 or 60 or even more years ago now. So mm-hmm. w- what do you make of this um, this tie-up with BlackRock, given what we know about them, and um, that there was no consultation, there was no asking the electorate, the citizenry, if this was acceptable to them. They just went ahead and did it and just pulled it out of the hat. And we know the... Um, you know, that the Prime Minister was at Black Rock and visiting them, I think, in May last year, walking out the front door with a mask on and everything. Um, do you have any feelings about that? Well, I have do have feelings in that if, um, if you're a staunch Labour uh, supporter and you believe in the ideals of Labour, I can't see why on earth you'd ever vote for Chris Hipkins. I mean, he dumped... Uh, unemployment insurance, which is a great thing for workers. Look, even Donald Trump likes unemployment insurance. The Democrat and made it more generous during the pandemic. The Democrats, the Republicans, there's bipartisan support. Chris Hickens dumped that. He dumped Parker's uh, wealth tax. Uh, so he's moved right on those two policies. And now he's announced this BlackRock deal, which BlackRock was founded by bankers uh, who helped develop the mortgage securities market in, in, in the U.S., which many blamed for the global financial crisis. So here you have uh, Hipkins thrown his hat now in with the biggest business of all, the biggest in, world's biggest uh, investment firm. And uh, do, and uh, it seems to me he's given them a great deal of free publicity. Now BlackRock can associate itself with, you know, every great environmental credential that this country has, has you know, tirelessly tried to build up. It's a great PR stunt for them. What we get out of it is very unclear. Uh, what what there, there are no details about uh, this this fund how it's going to work. It seems some form of public private partnership that uh, BlackRock will help raise money for, uh, but for what? Uh, the Prime Minister was saying it'll help us develop sort of new types of uh, uh, low carbon technologies and help us decarbonize. But actually, this country is not at the forefront of those technologies. We don't have a fusion. Uh, reactor. Yeah. We're not. We're not at those. The the technology you rightly said. Um, how have we been able to achieve quite uh, most of our industry not relying on fossil fuels? Well, it's got nothing to do with Hipkins. It's uh, hydropower, geothermal. So you know, but we're not, and those are due to our natural resources. So it's not clear, you know, what the deal is, what this country will gain from it. Um, you know who who will actually benefit uh, from from this? Uh, will the bankers and BlackRock benefit a lot more than this country uh, will? So it's it's unclear that with public private partnership, the devil is in the detail. You don't you know you have to look at exactly what they've agreed to. I think it was just a stunt. Uh, sounds good. It's um, 
you know, it, it seems to take the wind out of national a bit to say we're into public-private partnerships a, a, as well. But it, it it seems very lacking in any serious content. I don't think it'll shift the dial at all on the environment. Uh, it, it, there's no evidence for that. What does it do, though, for sovereignty? When you've got an entity that is, I think, described as, on the money anyway, the third biggest economy in the world, Mm. And and then you've got Hipkins meeting with WEF, mm. and and we kind of understand where they're coming from, and not talking to the public of New Zealand, which has raising concern about these associations and relationships and interrelationships. It's it's like, you know, well, we won't ask the people, sod them. Well, it <laughs> reveals know? a lot about uh, Hipkins. It reveals we've he's shown to be a prime minister who kowtows to lobby groups. Uh, just after he became prime minister, he ran up to Auckland and the Chamber of Commerce said, we need uh, you know, more low-cost labour from abroad, open immigration. And uh, he obliged. They said, we don't like the unemployment insurance scheme because employers would have to pay a payroll tax. So he dumped that. Uh, so now he does a deal with uh, big bankers. Um, you know, I thought a lot of people were still pretty wary of the, you know, these big investment companies and bankers because they still blame them for the financial crisis in 2008. But it just seems he's, uh, you know, kowtowing to lobby groups, uh, but he'll do anything to make an announcement and do anything to try to get power. But I can't make rhyme or reason of any of his announcements whatsoever. They seem to just be stunts. Here's another one. And that is the announcement of um, the preference for um, under harbour tunnels in Auckland as the new transport link there with a price tag of 33 to 45 billion. We're only a small country. That's a huge amount of money. Obviously, 2029 is a long way off. They'll probably never get to it. But to think you can, I mean, was there any credibility in that announcement? No, none at all. Uh, it's it's amazing that the media, the mainstream media, even put it in the media. Uh, it's just an an, an empty announcement, uh, you know, happening in year in many years time. Um, who knows when it would ever be um, completed? Again, it's just a stunt. Uh, there's no content to it, uh, what what whatsoever. Um, so I, I I wouldn't even take it take it seriously. Can you ever see, though, with a price tag in that range, and we know, because I, I saw the other day that Wayne Brown was complaining that the cycleway through, I think, um, Karanga Happy Road in Auckland was $12,000 a metre. Mm. Okay, so, you know, that's just a cycleway. He said he could get it done for $200 a metre. Mm. But anyway, um, can you even see, just with your economics hat on, how – the value could come from that sort of spend? I mean, could that unlock that value and more out of Auckland? Seriously? The the entire idea of it is is insanely ludicrous. Look, uh, it's not as, as uh, I'm against this project. Uh, nearly 10 years ago, when Key was in power, um, I attended the meetings of the NZ Initiative, and I uh, personally lobbied. Bill English had an academic advisory group that I used to at attend, and uh, I was telling as many National Party MPs as, as I knew that as after Key came in in 2010, interest rates were close to zero just after the global financial crisis. There was obvious there was a massive infrastructure deficit in this country. And 
uh, I was promoting the, the the view that this was if you wanted to uh, borrow and fund these projects, some of it which had enormous potential returns, it was a time you could fund them at virtually zero interest. And it seemed a no-brainer. National nor Labour had any interest in that whatsoever. Now, how now interest rates are shooting upwards um, and uh, at, at all-time high, well highs, 20-year highs, and now they're sort of talking of trying to enter in these projects. Well, it's a terrible time uh, to to borrow. Um, they neither party wants to increase taxes. So wh- where are they going to where are they going to get the money? Um, so uh, also, I advocated doing cost benefit uh, analysis on all these projects to to work out were they fully justified. And uh, neither Labour nor National had much commitment to cost-benefit. But the time horizons where it's decades away before it's even finished, this is ludicrous, Paul. I mean, maybe we'll have flying cars back back then. Maybe, you know, who knows the technology in 20 years' time? Maybe we won't even, even, uh, you know, need need cars. So it's very... They're trying to get us out of cars, Rob. They're trying to get us out of cars. That's right. The time horizon is so far away, and it's in such a distant future. Again, it's a meaningless announcement. Okay, and on the National Party side, they've uh, announced a $24 billion package, transport Mm. package, promising, they like this phrase, 13 new roads of Mm. national significance. Mm. So um, they want to spray it around as well. And, and Mm. I, I mean, do we have enough information to know that our current roading infrastructure is really holding us back that much. I know there's a lot of potholes. Okay, you can fix potholes. You don't need to spend billions on that. But it seems to me, um, and I'm you know not that aware, that, okay, we can make some improvements, but substantially our roading infrastructure kind of does the job. Do we need to be spending, again, that sort of money? It mm. needs to unlock the value, doesn't it? Otherwise, it's just a waste. Well, that's right, Paul. And the answer to all this, which I've completely failed to convince our politicians is, to answer your questions, we asked the world's leading urban economist, Ed Glazer, who's at Harvard University many years out, and uh, he uh, met the mayor, Len Brown, met, met all the folks in Wellington. Every bit of advice Ed Glazer gave to our politicians, National Labour, they ignored. Every bit of advice they ignored. Uh, he was advocating toll roads as a way of perhaps funding the, funding this because he could see that that was a, a problem. And to answer your questions, Ed would always give the answer, look, you know, whether a, a new highway or hub bridge crossing is just justified, do the cost benefit, work out, you know, the actual demand for it, uh, how much it will save people times you can quantify all that and compare it with the cost. Every road should be subject to that discipline to see whether or not it's justified. And uh, I completely failed to win over the Nats on that uh, discipline of cost benefit as well as labor. So instead, they're just, again, back to political stunts, what sounds good. Maybe we'll build a, a road up to Wangarei because it, it sounds you know, like a great thing to do. Well, you know, I'm not actually sure about the cost benefit to Wangarei. No, it's not obvious at all. Um, how many people live in Wangarei? About 60,000. It's got quite a small population. It's not obvious at all. I mean, rather than just pulling off a stunt or maybe Winston wants a road up there to win, you know, votes up up north. But, you know, goddamn do the cost benefit analysis to see whether the road to Wangarei is justified, compare it with a second harbour bridge crossing and tick off the, the projects that will give the nation the best return. But they just refuse to do that.
And why do you think that is, Rob? Because it's a no-brainer. It's it's that's what professional people do. Because they have their pet projects, and they have projects that they think will win them more votes. That's that's where politics starts entering into it. Um, I, at an initiative meeting, I gave a key, like an airfall on this cost-benefit, and uh, he sort of put me down over it. He said, you academics, you come up with these sorts of, you know, you crunch these numbers off cost-benefit, you can make up the numbers, they're not, you know. And, and you know, it's, it's true that the numbers are, you know, it's difficult to get sometimes very accurate numbers on this, but you can try and you can get a range of, you know, if you don't know the exact number, you can get an estimate and a range uh, but uh, Key and Stephen Joyce were very non-supportive to uh, the discipline of cost-benefit. They don't well, like that, to talk about it, but that's the truth. That's a bit rich because Stephen Joyce has just had a piece in the media over the weekend saying, let's call time on light rail. So, mm. um, you know, mm. it's it, it's funny how that works. Yeah, $24 billion, maybe you should spend that on the health system. Maybe that's get, right. That's right. You know, but they they don't say that, do they? It's always the roads. Roads are more important than people surviving. It seems anyway. Well, a lot of the light rail projects they weren't subject to cost benefit, and they they failed dismally. That's the point. But the Greens wanted it. It's particular vanity. It's vanity projects uh, that that make certain politicians look good. Yeah, but but it's, I think uh, light rail is for Auckland. Last I heard, was around the fifty to sixty million dollars mm. spent just for consulting. Mm. So you know, a, someone mm. someone's clipping the ticket. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So those are the uh, the big stories I've got in front of me. Anything else that's on your mind? Uh, um, I mean, what state do you think we're in economically right now in New Zealand? Uh, sort of, you know, it depends on who you speak to. But well, what's your sense? Are we? You, I think the country's lost its mojo, and I don't think we're a meritocracy anymore. Right. That's what I think. And I think countries can't survive if they're not meritocracies. I think it's as bad as that. Gee. Do you see any hope from people on how well they've done? And I noticed that with the students. You have to, if you work hard and do well and you're smart, you need to be rewarded. And I don't think a lot of young people can see if they put in the effort that it's going to be rewarded. Somehow this government has disconnected. Uh, this relationship between effort, ability, and reward. And that is fundamental to economics. Economies can't run unless people can see a link between hard work and reward. And I think that this government has broken that link, and I think it deserves to go for that reason. A nation cannot survive when that link between effort and reward is broken. Wow. Do you see any hope with any of the alternatives, though? Really? Well, (laughs) there's always hope. Yeah, yeah, it was always. Uh, hard. You know, yeah. I, I think on the positive side, um, I think most of us want the country to succeed, and uh, so you know, all, all bad policies can be undone and reversed, and uh, there's always hope for that. And uh, you know, there's a, it's got tremendous assets and tremendous potential in this country. So uh, I think that you know the bad policies can be undone, and we're a small country. We're flexible. We're nimble. Things can be changed quite quickly. It's it's easier to change things here and then in in the US, for example, or in many European countries. They're so big, but here we can move fast. And uh, I think we should undo the bad policies. And uh, I think I think we could you know be a fantastic place again. But I think we've lost our mojo, and uh, we have to retain. Uh, especially our young talent. I think it's a 
it's a great sadness in this country that many of the young people who are the best achievers see their future outside this country. We have to retain the talent uh, and we have to offer these folks who are doing well a promising uh, future and career. It's, it's, it's really sad. Many of my friends at school, the ones who did the best are now, most of them are overseas and their parents are getting old now. Their parents are dying for God's sakes and their children are on the other side of the world. You know, it's a sad thing. You want the children, the family to stay together and we need to retain our talent. So uh, I think it's time for a, a shake up and many of uh, the bad policies that have been put in place to be reversed. Rob McCulloch, thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio again. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.